Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Edge of Fear podcast. Today's guest was my friend Farah Tucker. We talk about limiting beliefs, emotions, vulnerability. We talk about noticing the season that you're in and not allowing that label of whatever season you're in to dictate your journey and kind of feeling into where you're at. Uh, We talk about sensitivity, we talk about highly sensitive people, we talk about empathy, we talk about having compassion for yourself and uh, having a sense of humor about where you're at and the importance of sharing your journey with those around you and how that makes it easier to have a sense of humor about it and to not get lost in your self-criticism and the story that you have created for yourself throughout your life because... Everything changes all of the time. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and I will see you on the other side. Hi friends, welcome to the Edge of Fear podcast, hosted by Liz Basil Lewison at Liz Without a Pillow. Each week I'll be bringing you some different insights, lessons, and laughs with an end goal of a more empowered and authentically happier human race. Everybody's got a story and everybody's story is important. Let's do this. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Edge of Fear podcast. I have got a friend here. I'm going to have her introduce herself. (laughs) Hi, I'm Sarah Tucker. Um, And probably the best way to introduce myself is to say I hate introducing myself. (laughs) So it's like, what do I want to say? But um, a couple of things I could say. I'm in Portland, Oregon, and I have a private practice. I'm a therapist. And Also, I work with massage therapists. I do continuing ed and consultation just to help them with, not with the body work part of what they do, but with the therapeutic relationship part of what they do. And yeah. Can you say that again? Continuing ed for what? Oh, massage therapists. Massage therapists. Yeah. So I'm not a massage therapist, but I worked as dean of a massage school for six years and I taught there for a really long time. And while I was there, I started, I developed um, a continuing education class to do that I've done since I've left that position, basically using my counseling and social work background to support massage therapists with things like communication, boundaries, ethics, because there's an overlap in our professions. Wow, cool. So kind of like a a huge HR like division, you're like the HR division for massage. No, not at all. And if the massage board in Oregon is listening, I'm definitely not that. Go <laughs> <laughs> swoop in and give me fines. But no, um, I just like support people in like having good therapeutic relationships with their clients. And we're all helping professionals, so there's a lot that's similar. So that's what I do for work. And then the other thing I'll say is I've been trying the last couple of years to lean in more to my creative self which is not what I do for work, but trying to explore that. So that's a little bit about me. That's awesome. That is, I am so forever intrigued by creative people. I realize that I always, always have like loved creative people. And it's, I think I recognized it when I started reading Brene Brown, because she just talks about being wholehearted and people who are wholehearted are people who play and you have to really make time for play and play is that creative side. And I realized just kind of as like a workaholic and like a people pleaser and very like um, maternal that I was always constantly like staying busy, like those combination of things plus like a type A personality. I was just like had to stay busy. And so I didn't enjoy sitting with myself 
or mm-hmm. letting myself draw or write or paint or play, whatever, usually more like sports. Um, but it was kind of like, these are the required things, which are work, exercise, f- social life, family, boyfriend. That's it. Like those, those were the only things. Right. I didn't fit anything else in. My best friend on my deployment he was a he went to culinary school and so he was a chef as a um, civilian profession so before we left and then while we were deployed we would do saturday night barbecues every saturday night like all the guys we worked with and the you know three girls (laughs) and he would like cook everybody steaks and like burgers and so whatever you would get you knew o'connor was gonna like grill it up really nice and like same thing with like vegetables he's like a vegan now or like was for a little while so at the end of the deployment we bought him a stand-up paddleboard because we knew that he had been like looking at it and he was like on the fence about if he could spend any of his deployment money on it and stuff. And like he has a wife and two kids. So he was like probably not going to get it. So we bought him the stand up paddleboard for like kind of his like late birthday present, but mostly just for like being like awesome the whole time. And it was really sad like you know a few weeks later when he was like you know thank you so much for like helping orchestrate that I don't even know what I would get you because like I don't know any of your hobbies and I was like it's all right man I literally don't have any hobbies like none I would like read a little bit like listen to audiobooks like a very little bit and like podcasts like I like listening to podcasts which funny because look at me now It all turned around. But yeah, so like play is super important. And I only have just acknowledged this in the last like year or so. And I think it's just been so much a part of my healing is like recognizing that like just saying I'm not creative doesn't mean that I don't have like interests in doing things just for the sake of doing them. Like it's cool to get better at stuff, but it's really cool to just enjoy stuff for the hell of it. Oh my gosh. I have so many things to say about that. I would definitely relate a lot to what you're saying and you know, I know I'm a few years or so older than you, and, and I feel like I can really relate. And I've, in the last five or 10 years, really been making more and more space for what you're talking about, for play, for creativity. Um, I was like high achiever, like you said, people pleasing and perfectionist and really just focus on working and achieving. And it's been interesting to kind of at the same time look back over my life and see that there really has been this thread of creativity. I just wasn't like claiming it and saying, this is actually something that is a big part of who I am. And in more recent years, I've been doing that and seeing what it's like to let that be part of who I am and let that be something that actually takes up space, more and more space in my schedule in my life. And it's really exciting, but it is a big, like you said, it's, it's a healing to kind of say, oh, play is okay exploration is okay. And it actually really relates to some of the other things that I've been thinking that we might talk about today about fear, right? Because to be able to play and explore, there is this kind of uncertainty in that, you know, it's not a script, it's not structured. And you have to have a certain amount of like trust in yourself to, to do those things. Yeah, totally. And I mean, there's, there's so many fears with it. And I wasn't even thinking that The first time I wrote about play for my blog, though, this past spring was in that regard that when we're young, and this was like totally like quoted from Brene Brown. This is not my idea at all. (laughs) Um, It's like something that I've thought about and like pondered over, but could never put to like words. That's why I like love reading this stuff from, you know, I, I 
that's how this all started for me was like, I was feeling really like high on love and like authenticity, but I was re I, because I was becoming interested in it, I started reading it and like getting the language for the things that I was feeling. And so it's just so cool to like now be having a conversation about it. Like how magical, how awesome is that? Um, but in the first blog I was writing about how, play does start out with this like fear either because you know our art teacher in middle school told us like that that wasn't a good whatever painting or our you know home ec teacher said sewing was never going to be for us like whatever little thing that somebody said that you weren't good at when you were young and you you held on to that probably young way younger than middle school mm -hmm. by the way like usually like between three and eight um <laughs> maybe even earlier mm -hmm. and sometimes later but um yeah these like these stories that we hold on to <clears throat> but when we're young we're just like i want to try gymnastics i want to be a painter like we have no fear mm -hmm. you're like fearless and so i have thought about play that way and creativity that way, but I haven't recently. So it's funny that you bring that up. It's so interesting with this title, what it like provokes in people. Everyone, like everyone really compliments the title and I'm like so proud of that because I was just so unsure mm -hmm. for so many weeks. And when I found it, I still wasn't like, that's it, that's the one. Like that's what I thought it was gonna be like when I found the title and it wasn't that at all. Like really none of the decisions at the beginning of this were that at all. And I thought they all were gonna be these monumental like, I'm touched by God, like <laughs> this like clear vision, this clear message of this is how it's going to be. And it just was not that, not at all. With the cover photo, I was like, nope, I hate them all. None of these are good enough. With the titles, I had pages and pages and pages of titles. And now I'm really glad that um, I wrote up literally like 10 pages of potential titles because now I'm just using them all as like episode titles and it's like giving me such guidance and that was like um like a literary a literary tactic just like write down everything the shitty first draft as Brene Brown calls it like literally write down everything and to your point of like there's always been this thread of creativity I realized that for me was writing mm -hmm. um and there are other things but it's it's always been like writing yeah, writing's been a big one for me. And I think that was one of the things that was interesting when I started thinking I wanted to make space for creativity is I had a friend reflect to me, help me see that this had been a thread my whole life. And then when I started looking at it, I was like, oh, there's this and this and this. And I had been, I had just kind of abandoned it for a long time. But you were talking about your title, which I also love. It's actually part of um, what got me excited about doing this interview when you asked me, I mean, I, we had connected on Instagram and um, I really like your presence. Um, and I feel like I really appreciate how you, you just are so excited about learning and growth and like really trying to give, it feels to me like give your followers something, you know, encouragement and inspiration. And so that's part of why I was looking forward to talking to you. Um, I so appreciate that. Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah. I mean, you're, I just appreciate your passion and, um, and the title is really was really compelling. And I was thinking, oh, like, I have so much like that comes up for me around this idea of the edge of fear, like, it's, there's a lot, not even just about creativity, but just um, my relationship with fear and risk taking throughout my life is something that is really rich. 
and um, that I'm continuing to think about a lot and evolve today. Yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting because I feel, I feel like I relate to that, but also part of me is like, you're not. Like, I've never played it safe, but I also have always felt like I played it safe. Like, I think, like, joining the Army was, like, a really, like, really bad example. Like, like tough representation of who I was at that point because I was so – did I stop? You're back, though. Yeah. Um, I was, like, so afraid of it. And, like, I was really using it, like, to run away Like I was like, I was running away from my, I had totaled my car. I was running away from my flipped car. I was running away from, you know, the debt that I was going to owe to my college. I was running away from a boyfriend that I wasn't honest with and that, you know, we, we just like liked the idea of the relationship. And I mean, we definitely like loved each other, but it was like that like young fucked up love that like it's just really passionate and it's not necessarily right and you're not necessarily compatible at all it's just it's just love and that's fine it's like more lusty it's a lot of fun mm-hmm. but i didn't know how to get out of the, those things in my younger years and so i would just run away from things and the army was just like another way for me to like run away from from you know things and from life like freaking runaway bride and so, <laughs> and so those things didn't seem risky to me. It seemed mm-hmm. like that was the safer choice was to run away. Like being seen was riskier. Staying and, and being seen and really having to face the problems was riskier for me. Um, I can tell you have something to say about that. You can. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, one, one of the things, well, I have a lot to say about being seen, but um, one of the things that I've been thinking about is, how whether we decide, deciding whether something is risky or not is completely individual. It's totally subjective. So when I look back at the risks I've taken in my life, somebody else who's maybe like more traditionally like outwardly a daredevil might be like, you, you've lived this really safe life. But for me, part of what's been important is claiming this has been hard for me you know, this has been scary for me. This is a risk in the context of my life and my, you know, how I'm made. And um, so often we just look and compare and we minimize our struggles. We say like, oh, this wasn't a big deal or, oh yeah, it's, oh, I just, I just did this little thing. And, you know, and to be able to say, no, like I actually was really scared and it was risky. And so I thought of that when you were talking about somebody else might look at your situation and say, oh, that was really risky to go, to run, to go away. But you're saying, no, it would have actually been really scary to stay. And I think that that's so important because it doesn't matter how it looks to anybody else. And because I've come to believe what I didn't used to believe, um, that it's leaning into those risks and taking, taking chances and being willing to be uncomfortable that have, those have led to the most fun and meaningful and exciting things that I've done, the things I've been most proud of. But part of it is like, I have to be able to honor my fear and take it at my own pace and say like, okay, this is actually really edgy for me. Because if I decide, if I minimize that, if I dismiss that, I might push too fast or I might do something and then not understand why I'm having a hard time. Right. And I think that 
you know, that goes back to that that ability to say, I'm allowed to feel this and really feel that and really believe it. Because I think that there's, there's so many things that like when it's, when you're being sensitive, we're just, uh, we're just so conditioned to think that it's not okay to be sensitive. And it just feels so shitty to deny those sensitivities sometimes that you're like, okay, I'm not allowed to feel this. I'm not allowed to be upset about this. And you like trap yourself under that, like, you know, that like weight that you put there. Like most of the time, nobody is presently saying you can't feel that way. Somebody did. Mm -hmm. Somebody probably did. Mm -hmm. Or you heard it that way. Between ages three and eight, my friends, it happened to all of us. We've all experienced some kind of trauma. But so we got that in our head that, you know, I can do it. I can do it myself. I don't need anybody. Or no matter what I do, I'm not going to be good enough. Or like whatever, whatever your story is, whatever you told yourself to survive is because you're trying to push away those like feelings, you know, those sensitive feelings, those emotions. And to really acknowledge that it helps you every single time that you go through something traumatic after that. Like that's a tool now. That's, that's something that you get to use and apply in your life if you can be aware of it every time. And you're not going to be aware of it every time. And problems are still going to happen. But I think that that's a really kind of incredible thing to be to just to be conscious on this journey honestly like just to have that level of self-awareness is a huge huge step in the way of taking those risks on because it's it's a little bit more doable now yeah i mean and you mentioned sensitivity and i identify as a highly sensitive person which i'm not going to get into a whole thing about it unless you want to talk about that but but um whether you're somebody out there who does identify as an hsp um, or an empath or is just somebody who you know feels things really deeply right if if we ignore that or if we think there's something wrong with us it leads to all kinds of problems it leads to a lot of shame and it can lead to um the other side of the coin, which is pushing ourselves to take risks that are not right for us, that we're not ready for, because we think, well, I shouldn't be feeling this upset about this, or this shouldn't be so scary. Um, one, of the, one of the things I'm most kind of driven to do in my work and in, even on Instagram is to really help people feel seen and have their experiences feel normalized, you know, and it's like, we're all out there with different levels of sensitivity and different experiences and feelings. And so often we deny that and we think I'm supposed to be feeling this other way. And we abandon ourselves in those moments. You know, we abandon ourselves and we can really harm ourselves by not just tuning in and saying, okay, this is where I'm at. This is what I personally need to thrive. And sometimes what I need to thrive is going to be pushing myself. And sometimes what I need to thrive is going to be actually slowing down and saying, I'm not actually ready for this. And both of those things, which in some ways feel contradictory, those are, those are parallel, really important parts of my journey that I've been on and that I try to support people in, you know, when I'm working with folks, being able to both stretch a little bit because that's how we grow, like tolerating more and more discomfort and developing that resilience, but also learning to listen in and honor the signals we're getting that are saying, whoa, 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 like maybe not yet. Let's take this at our own pace. And those both are really important. 
I love that. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, I see that everywhere that people are afraid to, you know, stretch a little bit. I love the way you, you phrased that just that little stretch, that little tiny exercise of like making this a little bit more normal for yourself, normalizing it a little bit. And also what you said about like the should, like the should is totally what like messes with us Mm -hmm. because again, like no one's standing over your shoulder saying you can't feel that way. You're not allowed to. That's Mm -hmm. you. We are imposing that on ourselves. And so, yeah, just honoring where you're at. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot very recently just because I I know myself and when I get into a really good groove, and I think you and I have actually talked about this a little bit, when you like are regularly meditating and then you skip a day. Was that you and I talked about about this? Yeah. Yeah. And so when I'm like really in a good ritual, when I'm in a good routine of like meditating and I'm getting the right amount of sleep for what I need in this season and I'm eating the way my body like wants me to and like I'm fueling myself to do the things that I want to be able to do, I am able to be more in tune with my emotions and feel better about them. And I'm able to realize that, you know, I'm being too hard on myself or this actually is a big deal and I'm pretending it's not, or the opposite of that, this actually isn't a big deal and I'm, I'm making it into a much bigger deal than it is. And just being in tune with all of that and honoring whatever speed that you're at, whatever pace that you're at, you know, you could be in a completely different world tomorrow and you were in a completely different world last year. I mean, we change like day to day. Mm-hmm. Like literally the last two days I was – Every, you, you know, when you're just in a day where every song makes you cry. That's like every day for me. But <laughs> no, not really. Not really. I feel that though. I feel that. Yeah. I mean, and when you said highly sensitive person, I'm like, I didn't know that was a thing. Ooh, I, that. I mean, like, that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to, but also I definitely want to. <laughs> we can talk about it a little bit. And also if we don't want, if we don't get into it a lot today, I can also, um, send you where, where you should look. But um, yeah, the, short, the short version is there's a trait um, called the highly, highly sensitive person. And um, it's actually, I think they say it's about 15 to 20% of us have this trait. Um, so it's a fair amount, but it's small enough that a lot of people don't know about it. And I, what I will say, so it's um, the, the characteristics are things like depth of processing. So you process things really, really deeply. So sensitive nervous system, so you get overstimulated easily by sensory, uh, by sensory input. Um, there's a lot, there's like strong emotions and strong ability to feel empathy. And then you're also really aware of subtleties. So it's a lot of processing and a lot of like sensitivity in nervous system. And um, it's, it's, it's a whole episode or more on its own. But what I will say as it relates to this, um, is my discovering that I identify as having this trait in the last, in the later part of my life actually um, changed my life because it really allowed me to see myself more clearly and not feel as much shame or feel like I should be different, but just, oh, this is how I am. This is, this is 
how I move through the world and this is how things affect me. And so to actually kind of create a life that works for me instead of trying to be different. And it's something that I love talking to clients about too, because when they first get this information, it can feel really empowering. There's a, there's a dark side or downside to it too. It can feel, um, sometimes it can feel really discouraging because our world isn't set up well for sensitive folks, um, as you alluded to. But it can be really helpful to find this out and to understand this is just a totally valid way of being. So um, if you want to look into it or any of your listeners, um, a good place to start is to go to the website, um, Elaine Aaron, who first discovered and named the trait. I think it's the highlysensitiveperson.com or highlysensitiveperson.com, but um, there's a little self-test that you can take. And it's a great place to start. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I will definitely include that in the notes and definitely do some research on it because mm-hmm. that sounds like something I would be really interested in. Um, yeah, and I definitely could see, I could definitely see when you would get that information or hear about it the first time or um, whatever, be told that, the, that you are that, that that could feel like a heavy thing, like a diagnosis. But I literally you said it and I was like, superpower, that's your superpower. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Because totally. it's to, I mean, so many of those things could be misdiagnosed for so many other things. Mm-hmm. And just like the being super aware of other people's emotions and cues and things like that. I mean, I, I remember reading about that in the book Attached by Amir Levine with the attachment styles. And I reference it in a couple of episodes. I, I love it because it just – like figuring out what your attachment style is just means that it's not good. It's not bad. It just is. This just is your attachment style. Now you know how to go about the world. Now you know how you are in your relationship. Now you know how you need to effectively – approach life the same thing with like um the disc assessment or the enneagram like people we like to like kind of label ourselves which is contradictory to i think a lot of the things that i talk about here but i think having a label about ways of being rather than like professions could be really helpful to you and I don't think that you're ever stuck in any label. I think that just like our emotions change from day to day and we go through phases like, and we go through seasons in life. I think it's the same thing for, you know, our health and our wellness and our personality traits. I mean, my taste buds change every, every few years, like my hair changes every few years. Why would the rest of me be any different? You know? So yeah, I, I really like that. I will definitely be doing some research on that. Yeah, <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, and I know this is a bit of a tangent, but what you're saying, I think that there is this kind of interesting line between when we decide this is who I am and we create, you know, we create labels or we, we, um, we give ourselves labels or somebody else gives us a label that it can just become the truth. And then we just are like, this is who I am. And then we just kind of tell ourselves that. And um, it becomes the reality and we don't question it. And that's actually something that I think about a lot and work with folks a lot, you know, sort of let's look at what those, those stories are that you think are just your personality, but are actually just habits or, con- you know, ways that you've con- been conditioned to believe and act. But on the other side, there are times where it can be helpful to say, oh, this is how I can understand my brain works in this way. It works differently or and to have that, to feel valid and to feel seen and understood 
to ourselves. So there's kind of this balance there. Um, but yeah, I was actually thinking about the other day, probably in prep, well, in preparation for our conversation, I think, about how there are these things that like we could our whole lives just say, this is just how I am. This is just who I am. And like, we don't even necessarily say it out loud. Sometimes we're just saying in our heads. And then at, at a certain point, we might discover, oh, that's what I'm telling myself. And sometimes it's not true. And I had this experience with this related to the topic of your very well-titled podcast. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about how for a lot of years, I would always describe myself as um, risk averse. I would say, oh yeah, well, as a risk averse person, blah, blah, blah. And I would just use that all the time. I would say it over and over again. And one day I heard it, like in the last few years, I heard myself say it and I was like, hold up. Is that true? And do I want it to be true? And, but it was more like, is that true? Is that true anymore? And related to what we talked about earlier, I had sort of, I hadn't caught up, like the narrative hadn't caught up with the reality of my life. Right. And I started looking at, like, if I actually think about taking risks from the perspective of what's a risk to me, not for what other people would consider risk, I actually have taken a ton of risks over the years, but I was still talking about myself as a person who doesn't take risks. And in doing that, I was completely invalidating all of the stuff I had done. Right. You know, and I was like, oh, no, actually give yourself credit for all of these things. So once I heard myself say that and really took it in, I was like, I'm not going to say that anymore. I don't like that story. <laughs> and it yeah. doesn't feel true anymore. And you do. You get to choose your story. I mean, that's like the most powerful thing to realize when you hear yourself. I, I love that you said that. I, you, I heard myself because you've been saying it the whole time. Just, I just posted about this yesterday on my Instagram story that I did something stupid that wasn't a big deal. And I heard myself say, you're so fucking stupid. And, and like, and that's my thing that I tell myself, you're so fucking stupid. Like you tell oh, Yeah. That's like so mean. Yeah. Like I'm risk averse. I mean, like, I wasn't saying, like, I'm stupid, but sometimes I would say, and I talk about this on the John Potts episode about confidence, about how I would be like, you're not going to like this idea, or I don't really know how I feel about this. And and that was me, like, saying I'm stupid. And that was why I, like, felt unheard and unseen because I wasn't letting those walls down to say things because I felt like I would be judged for being stupid. Like who fucking ever told me I was stupid. I'm like yeah. kind of realizing this a little bit now, right now in this conversation. You know what it occurs to me when you say that is it's like you were telling people not to listen to you before they yeah. had a chance to decide, right? Like you're saying right. like, Oh, this is a bad idea coming. So don't right. look over here. Yeah. Yeah. Which is such a protective, yeah. protective thing. Right. Exactly. Let me keep this armor up so you don't really see me. But then I would feel unheard and unseen in my relationships and I would be mad at them, you know, for not letting me be myself. <laughs> it's so, so sad. Like what a vicious circle. Like I'm not being myself because I'm afraid to be and then I'm blaming you and then I'm unhappy and I'm alone because I'm not able to be myself and then I'm not myself more. Yeah. Oh, that's so, I can feel that whole cycle. Like I just feel it in my body and you know, it is sad, but I also think like 
one of the things that I believe has really helped me and I try to help offer to people is looking at the things we do and really having compassion and understanding why we operate in those ways and to be able to be like, okay, so here's this habit I've had and I can look at it and say, oh, that was so self-destructive or that was so mean, but like, what was that? What was the wisdom in it? Or like, what was it wanting for me? Because I think I believe really deeply that everything we do, there's some, if we can trace it back, there's some kind of pure motive there. Like in this case, we want to protect ourselves and wanting to protect ourselves gets such a bad rap. You know, we always say, oh, you're just being defensive or you're just protecting yourself. But what I like to think about is that if we're trying to protect ourselves, there's this, there's something worth protecting that we believe there's something worth protecting under there that we actually feel that we have value, you know? Um, and sometimes when I say that to people, they like kind of balk, like, no, it doesn't mean that. But it sort of does, right? Yeah. <laughs> we think we're worth protecting. Absolutely. As soon as you said, it, I was like, inner child protect totally yeah you have to protect the inner child i'm like exactly yeah that's that's really beautiful and i i do deeply believe that but i think i give myself a hard time like it's it's so funny literally everything i say on here is like just i'm saying it at myself but like if if I say it to a bunch of people, like we all rise, you know, instead of just saying it to myself. So the same thing with like realizing the importance for me of like ritual and discipline and having like my things that fill my cup. It's, it's the same thing I think for like being forgiving towards myself and being understanding of like, it's okay. You're going to have slip ups. Like that's just as important to me in my self-care routine. And I think to go along with it also is like the importance of like mantras and affirmations. So like saying the opposite of what you've been saying and literally saying it to yourself like over and over and over again, because that's the way that we've been saying all these negative stories mm-hmm. to our, ourselves is over and over and over again for decades in most cases. Totally. You know, so I talk about self-compassion a lot and I, and I teach about it in my classes sometimes. One of the things I think about is that, we need a self-compassion practice. Like we need to practice it because of what you just said, because we have been practicing self-criticism for our whole lives, practically, right? Give or take. So we're practicing, we're, we're doing, and it's not, I sometimes think about like sitting down and doing like a formal meditation and sitting down and doing like a self-criticism practice. Like you're on your mat and you're like, I'm going to say, how much of a piece of shit I am over and over again. We don't do it like that, but we're saying it all day long. So in order to counteract that, in order to develop some other voice that we have access to, we have to practice it. You know, whether it's what you're saying, like doing mantras or any other way that we practice that, there needs to be some repetition or it's just this like faint whisper, you know, in the middle of a bunch of screaming negative voices. Right. Like being unhealthy for five years and then eating like a vegetable or like going to the gym one time, like that you're pissing into the wind. That's a, a drop in a bucket. What I I can't think of any expressions right now, but (laughs) that's not good. That's not enough. It's not going to (laughs) work. It has to be a practice like daily, regularly. Otherwise it's, 
I mean, it's not completely useless. Like, don't mm-hmm. not do it. Do it still. Right. Do but it, yeah. it has to be consistent. That's why when I, you know, I say that I meditated a half a dozen times in the last decade. And then when I started actually in January, I went 11 days straight and I was like, oh, I, I feel different. Literally on the 11th day, I felt different. Mm-hmm. And now it's been pretty much since January. So it's October. So 10 months roughly. And if, you know, I'll skip every now and then. I think my Insight Timer app, I'm at like 49 days straight or something. So I skip every now and then. But it's noticeably awful when I don't meditate. Like, and sometimes my meditation is one or two minutes and sometimes it's 10 minutes and sometimes I have to meditate three times during the day. But that shit is consistent because it works. I don't know why I like fall out of any of my routines because I'm like, oh gosh. But again, because I'm having compassion towards myself, I'm forgiving myself. Like it's hard being in a grown up and like trying to raise your level of consciousness is so hard. <laughs> it is. And I think that this probably came up when you and I chatted about that. It's like not only having compassion because why would we beat ourselves up because we don't meditate for one day, but right. also like flexibility is part of it. Like let's look at the big picture of our lives. Like are we supposed to be just like working on ourselves constantly and like super rigid and, and having no flexibility for all the things that come into our lives. I mean, that to me feels unkind and unrealistic. And so what does it actually mean? If you're like, I want to meditate every day and then you skip a day, but like, you know, you meditated like 53 days out of 60. So what, like, so what? Like literally, so what? Yeah. Also like (laughs) celebrate that win. Exactly. Celebrate that win. Cause that's, that's huge. I have totally not thought about it that way. I did. I, I broke like 146 day streak for my Duolingo, my French class that I had been taking literally since I was in Italy. So I left there April 26th. So I, I broke the streak like, you know, a month ago and I was so upset. And I was like, I'm going to forgive myself. I forgive myself. I'm going to tell myself it's not that big of a deal. Like it's fine. I forgive myself. But I still, I wasn't like, look at those 150 days of French I just took. Like I haven't done that in literally nine years. Like that's really cool that I was able to do that for so long. And I have not once, and I have been ruminating over this. I forgave myself, (laughs) but that was a month ago. And every time I see my like 18 days straight, 22 days straight, I'm like, damn you. (laughs) Shake my fist at the guy. <laughs> Honestly, I can totally relate to that though. And for me, I think it's more about my like competitiveness. Like I'm super competitive and definitely with myself. And so, yeah, cause I've had that whole situation with streaks and like, if I miss a day, I'm like, no, you know, starting over. But then when you think about it, it's like, what is that? What am I really trying to accomplish here? Well, I'm trying to accomplish learning a language or developing a meditation habit or, knowing myself better, you know, because even thinking about why do you want to meditate? Not mean you, but so often we like try to develop habits because we think we're supposed to do it because somebody said it's a good idea. That's not super motivating. But if we can connect to why do I want to do this? Oh, well, because when I sit in meditation, I feel like I know what's happening inside of me better. And then I can take better care of myself. I'm acting more consciously and intentionally versus being reactive, whatever your reason is. That's, a, that's motivating. 
And um, we can pick up and do that tomorrow, whether we missed two days or six days or two years. I mean, okay, well, here I am. Let me just start today. And why am I doing this? I'm not doing it to like win some sort of consecutive day insight timer award. <laughs> I totally do that with literally Duolingo and my Apple Watch. Like I do with everything. <laughs> the intangible trophy is so competitive. <laughs> and it's so relate. It's so relatable. And I think it's I think it's great that we can laugh at that stuff in us too. Yeah. It's actually like I think I'm trying to think where I first heard this, it might have been Daniel Siegel when I saw him speak several years ago, but talking about like being like a healthy, like well-adjusted adult is like being able to kind of laugh at our stuff, you know, that like we all have stuff and I'm totally paraphrasing him. So don't quote me on this, but, uh, but sort of the spirit of it being, yeah, we all have kind of funny things that we do in the world, like idiosyncrasies and like neurotic habits, but like if we can have the sense of humor and lightheartedness about those things, that that's really one of the keys to, I think, feeling at peace and feeling okay with ourselves, to not striving for a, perf- a perfect version. Right. This is something that I haven't really gotten to talk about yet at all on the podcast that I really want to talk more about, but that that being okay with failure and being okay with laughing at yourself because that's that's the way you grow like you even you said earlier about how it was during those times of like discomfort that you felt yourself grow and you like had the best times those are the times that you're the most proud of and i think it's not so much just the intrinsic value of the stepping out of your comfort zone it's the sharing of the stepping out of your comfort zone and it's the sharing the 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 good and the bad like i can sh- i i can share with you that i i lost my 150 day duolingo streak and that now it's funny when i'm angry at my 20 day streak <laughs> that is like a silly stupid funny thing and we are all doing silly stupid funny things all day long but you don't look at it through that lens at all we're not ever looking at things through that perspective because it's not funny when it happens it's like when you get in a stupid fight with like a sibling or a friend and it's like so stupid like so stupid that it it should be funny as it's happening but it's not funny because it's still happening the moment you talk about it it's funny right like as soon as you're done venting about it after the fact like you can't even tell the story because it's so stupid what you were (laughs) fighting about you know yeah but in the moment you're like in your feelings about it and you have to be really serious yeah like i am so mad about this my brother and i just got out of a fight for three weeks over macaroni and cheese. I'm not even going to tell you what happened. That's a serious subject, though. <gasps> Apparently. Macaroni and I cheese. Will also, I will also say, like, I haven't eaten gluten in, in like, three months, uh, with the exception of, like, three or four intentional slip-ups. But, like, I haven't even been eating gluten. So I didn't – I just want to – this is the only thing I'm going to say about it. I didn't even eat the mac and cheese. Like, I didn't even eat it. We fought for three weeks. But anyway, the the point of the story of, like, having the stupid arguments and being able to laugh about it after is that it's not just the stepping out of the comfort zone part that's fun and exciting and exhilarating and, like, 
that like that fun overcoming of the fear. It's the sharing of it. And so being able to like talk about and relate with people on successes and failures that they've had. And that's like, I think that's part of what's compelling. I mean, at least in, in my perspective, from my perspective, I think that that's what people are compelled to the show about the title with like, I've been afraid of things that now I see weren't that scary or are funny now, or like, I'm still afraid of lots of things. Like everybody has fear. So like, there's, there's never going to be a deficit of stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking, um, as you were talking about that, about, um, well, where we started this conversation about creativity and also more specifically about Instagram. And one of the things that I really enjoyed on that platform and been on both sides of, but I'll just speak to the side as a writer, is when we share those things, whether I'm writing a specific story that happened to me or if I'm talking more generally about, you know, this is what happens for people sometimes, you know, people um, are inspired by that. Like when we share our struggles and our failures and our, you know, and we're vulnerable, other people, we're not trying to inspire people, but it just happens, you know? Um, and that's really exciting, you know, cause then first of all, somebody recognizes themselves in you, right? You tell the story and someone's like, oh my gosh, I do that too. Or I have that fear also. And they immediately feel less alone. There's less shame just from that connection. And then it might encourage that person to then share something with somebody else. And then it has this ripple effect where we come out of hiding. We're like, oh, actually we're all human too. Right, totally. I was gonna say before uh, to go with what you're saying about like the ripple effect, I had written down at some point um, just that we're like all connected. And I think I was thinking about it as, as far as like the things that we say and how what we say is like connected to like our presence and things like that. And yeah, it's just, it's so crazy how your words can just touch somebody through a screen, through a phone, you know, through, through very different life experiences, but then deep down, like so similar, like to be able to see yourself in a story in someone else's narrative, you know, from another part of the world or another part of the country or a totally different background. So yeah, it's crazy. I mean, what a beautiful thing to be able to like share your story at all and like have an opportunity to, to connect like this on this level. Another thing that I just remembered um, from something that you referenced earlier, I mean, you just said it very much in passing about how you were thinking about something, um, you know, as you were starting to think about us having this conversation. And like, again, with like our thoughts being connected to our words, connected to our actions, connected to the, like the way that we live, the way that we move through life. There's um, an analogy that I heard in the um, personal professional development class that I took last month and then again this month, um, the next course of it, Landmark. And it is, they say that um, your trip starts the moment you book the flight. And so basically that means that like as soon as we scheduled this podcast, we started like moving through life slightly differently, like without even really realizing it probably, but like we're suddenly seeing things differently. And I always joke that I'm like constantly searching for content now, but I really am like every, every time I am out with friends at all, like at some point during the night, you will 
see or hear me either voice recording, writing like a long note to myself on my phone or literally in a corner, like by myself writing in a notebook, like scribbling quickly because I'm like, there's so much content happening. And it's, it's, it's so amazing how we just are literally like filtering the world through this, this, this perspective that we have. And so suddenly like we're thinking about the podcast and things that we're like hearing and interacting with throughout life, like suddenly will make me think about a story that you told me on our preliminary call. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's so interesting. Like those, those minor interactions really do impact people. And so that's why the sharing is so inspirational because it does impact people. Like we, you don't necessarily realize it, but like literally every interaction you have or don't have the good, the bad, like if you ignore someone, that's, that's going to create a reaction, like every single thing that you do. So yeah, super powerful. Like our words and our Mm -hmm. actions are so, so powerful. Like they should be done with intention to go back to what you're saying about like, you know, meditating and like making it all a practice, like doing all of these things intentional, like we can't do it all. But so like decide what you're going to like choose where you want to lay your intentions and like being more in tune with yourself and with all of it. It's, I could, I could talk about this for 10 years. Yeah, no, same. And I love, um, I don't want to forget, I love, first of all, when you're describing yourself, like jotting down notes and voice memos, like so relatable, like, I, I mean, it's such a like writer thing and I'm sure, you know, similar for podcasting and um, probably any creative person, but because I have been writing so regularly since I started doing my Instagram, it has changed. I'm the same way. Like I'm constantly, not even on purpose, but I'm constantly like, oh, I'm going to write a post about that. Um, I have just like notes everywhere. I always have like 25 drafts, you know, at least in my head, on my phone, whatever. Um, but yeah, what I like about, I like what you're saying about how it already starts, something's already set in motion. Um, and so even it's just like, if I jot something down, I want to think about it's I'm working it out in the back of my head, even when I don't know it. Right. And um, I think about this, even when we, when we decide we want to do something, maybe that's scary. Like I think about this even with like, say people scheduling an appointment with a therapist and they've been scared to do it. And then they think about it and then they finally schedule it. It's like that session has already started. Right. Like, just like you're saying, this conversation, we were already thinking about it. Like, when you take that step towards something, you start to orient towards it. And um, I really like thinking about things in that way because, um, I, and it's just true. You know, I've had body workers say to me, like I said, I've gone in for a session and I'm like, these are all these things that were happening in my body, like just on my way to the appointment or yesterday. And they're like, yeah, your body knew you were getting this work done. So it was like, already doing the work and you know kind of gearing up for this that's crazy um, that's why a bit I of a tangent yeah no I like I like yeah. that yeah all, all the tangents the tangents are the good stuff I'm nothing but tangents same <laughs> <laughs> but they always come back right some kind of... uh, not for me but <laughs> work, work but I found myself, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean it, it, that's something that I talk about it on actually the episode with my friend Lucia, who's I recorded with her yesterday. So her episode will come out like right before yours. So funny how that it always works. 
She and I, I, I tell the story about, so I'm not going to retell it again here because you'll have heard it yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I just tell the story about how when I started talking about my podcast, it was, I had, I had it on like a, like on my 10 year plan for like year five to seven. And two months later I had started it. Like I had started recording because I like spoke it into existence. And like, however you want to call that manifestation or like your words have power or we start moving in the direction, like that's your North star. Like you got to have goals. And I just didn't believe it for so long. Like I believed it for a long time. And then at some point around probably like, I don't know, 18 or 19, I became jaded to the world. and like the world had done me so wrong, which like, you know, in many ways it did, but also in many ways it didn't. And I just didn't want to take any responsibility for that. And so, you know, I spent a, a decade, a better part of a decade, really not setting like goals for myself, just kind of like being like, all right, another day, take out the trash, make breakfast, make lunch, make a paycheck, go to work. Just kind of on autopilot. Yeah, totally on autopilot. And when I look back on like like pictures and when I think about memories and stuff, like I was there, I enjoyed it. Like I wasn't miserable, but I was totally tuned out. Like the volume was just way down, you know? Mm -hmm. So powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I do think, there is a way to think about that stuff that isn't at all woo-woo, right? That isn't at all about, because um, that's, that's not, that doesn't speak to everybody. But I think that if we don't believe that something is possible, we're not going to take any steps toward that. If we don't believe something's possible or if we don't believe we're entitled to it. But once we say, wait, what if I did want to do this thing? Is that something, you know, and then we begin to kind of lean in that direction. It's going to affect what we think about what we read, what we research, what, you know, steps we take. And then suddenly you're, you're kind of walking down a path you didn't think you could walk down because you believed it was something you could even try. But if you don't even open that door, you're never, you're never going to get there. Um, And I was thinking about, again, about creativity and where we started this conversation that like, I didn't think I could make that important. And about man, it's been like maybe a year and a half ago now. Um, to make a long story short, I did this huge garage purge. Wow, like, that's a project. Oh, you have no idea. Like, I can't even begin to tell you. It's like, because it was like 15 years of just stuff, you know, from yeah. like house to house. And um, went for it. Like, really, it was an extreme purge. And um there were a lot of reasons for it, but one of the things was I had this idea that I wanted there to be a little space in my garage where I could like have a creative space. And at that point, I didn't even know what that meant, like what I wanted it for, but I just had this feeling that I wanted that. I mean, I had a little bit of an idea. <laughs> anyway, long story short, purged everything, made the space, set up an area, made it like really beautiful. And it probably took about a year or at least a half a year, but probably closer to a year. And then suddenly I was sitting in that space being creative and it was like amazing because it was like I had to have the idea and think that I deserved it and like that it was important enough. And I, there was like some shame about that. Like, what do you, Oh, you're going to make a creative space. You're not an artist. Like, what are you doing? But I didn't let that voice, you know? And then 
yeah, and now it's the space that I get to be in. Um, yeah, what are we talking about? <laughs> no, yeah, that's that's what we we're talking about. That, was, that that is so awesome. Yeah, I, it's really hard, I think, for people to to see setting goals as not woo woo because of the culture that we're in right now of like woo woo and spirituality. People are like kind of looking for it. I think people are just like looking for things. I, it's not, it's not at all the woo-woo culture. It's the culture that we're, that we live in. People are looking to take a side. That's it. They, they don't want to just hear you. And I think that that's, I mean, what you said, I think the compliment that you, <laughs> the compliment that you gave me earlier that I loved, um, that like, it seems like I want to like learn and like teach and like offer something. Um, I think stems from my, from originally from being a people pleaser, but so I really didn't want to like butt heads with people. And so for that reason, I was like accepting of alternatives, but I was also like super like competitive and like a little spiteful and a little opinionated. And by a little, I mean, definitely a lot opinionated, but so like, I didn't necessarily like want to fight about it, but like. I was still like, yeah, you're wrong. Um, but so now just having a little bit more self-awareness and realizing that I don't know everything, not even close, um, I, I can really get in tune with that. Like, just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean that I have to like starkly disagree with you. Like there's even a chance that you're a little bit right and maybe I'm a little bit wrong, you know, or maybe we're both completely wrong, but like, I think just disagreeing with something for the sake of disagreeing, it is like super common right now. People are like looking for that a little bit. And so to bring it back to what we were actually talking about, which is why I got on that thought was um, that people don't, people, we know goals work. This is not news. Like goals work. There are millions of books written about it. Like this is a fact. Like you write something down, there's it becomes a clear path, a clearer path on how to achieve your goal. If you don't write it down, it's just this like conceptual thing. It's a hope. Uh, Rachel Hollis says uh, a goal is just a dream with its work boots on, and it like that's that's what it is. You set the goal and then you start moving towards it. But because we're in this like age of raising the consciousness and like this age of Aquarius, we are trying to like heal and repair. And so people who are opposed to any spirituality at all, I think, are like very like wanting to give the pushback on manifestation. And I'm like, whatever, you can, you can believe whatever you want to be quite honest. But like if meditation works for me and I believe that meditation works, I don't care if it's placebo effect, it works and I'm happier. So like, let's do this thing. Same thing with like, if I want to use my affirmations, if that works for me, if it makes me happy, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. I'm not going to try and shove it down your throat, but I'm letting you know, day 11, that shit starts to work. Like it doesn't work on the first day, consistency, but it starts to work in my opinion. Yeah. Side note, um, if you haven't listened to the podcast, um, the recent episode on, on being, um, the drugs in your head. And I can't think of the guy's name now, uh, Eric Vance maybe, but anyway, um, it's all about the placebo effect and all of the, yeah, I'm not even going to say more. It's so good. Okay. I will definitely I recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, it's interesting. I mean, yet another tangent, but we can edit this out if you know. <laughs> we never do. I always say I might, but. <laughs> um, 
but something that um, one of my like millions of posts that I like haven't written that are in my draft folder um, is about this. But just the idea on the flip side about how goals sometimes are limiting because we set our goals based on where we're standing and we think we actually are capable of more than we think. Totally. Right. And so a lot of times we set these goals that are really close to where we are or just like a step outside of where we are because it's, it's all that we can see is possible. And so sometimes it, I've been thinking about how sometimes goal setting in a traditional sense limits us. And so I've been trying to think about other ways of looking ahead that are less linear, you know, kind of more feeling into where the nudges are. Yeah. I like that to, to acknowledge, you know, every step of the way it, it does change. Okay. So I think we'll end it there. We've been talking for quite some time now, set goals, but also like be aware of where you're at in the journey and trust yourself, get in tune with yourself. I think this was like a, a great message on like being present and really listening to yourself and trusting where you're at in the process. Yeah, it was really fun to talk with you. I feel like we could talk probably for five hours easily because I think we're similar in having in the way our brains are like, oh, this, oh, this, oh, this. I know. That's definitely like a, a thousand percent where we are. You were like, oh, the tangents. I'm like, the whole show, the whole show is tangents. Something tangent, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if they really, know this yet. <laughs> it was really fun to talk about all the stuff with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you? So I spend all of my time on Instagram. (laughs) It's only (laughs) kind of a joke. So I'm at Farah underscore Tucker underscore LCSW. And that's Farah, F like Frank, A-R-A. Awesome. And I will put that in the show notes. Yeah, of course. Um, And I repost your stuff at least every Monday and Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) Remind me what the hashtags are because I get them wrong 100% of the time. So Monday is meme Monday and then Thursday is therapy humor uh, Thursday. Therapy humor Thursday. Meme Monday, I think I got on lock, but <laughs> um, yeah. So if you're not following me at Liz Without a Pillow, you definitely should should be. And I tag Farah every Monday and Thursday because those are so funny. And a lot of the stuff that I put out, whilst I try my best to be natural and funny, sometimes I get a little deep and emotional. And so those like therapeutic days are like great. And I think everybody really appreciates it. Let me know if I'm wrong. I'm not going to change though. All right. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you everybody for being here. We will see you next time. All right, just hopping on for a quick second. After Farah and I got off the call, we were talking a little bit about manifestation and she mentioned a couple of things that I had never really considered. So I wanted to just note them here for you guys in case anybody's interested in hearing more about a different perspective on manifestation because I do speak quite a bit here on this platform about manifestation and affirmations and our power in our future and our power to choose. So this is Farah. I'm reading some of her words but also kind of paraphrasing, uh, taking out a couple of sentences here and there. So she said, one of the reasons I don't use that language in particular and that in general I'm cautious about how I talk about the idea of creating our future and reality is that unless there's a lot of nuance in the way that it's talked about, it can be explained and or interpreted in a way that's harmful to many groups of people. I believe that we have a lot of power in creating our reality and I believe that that's not the whole picture. 
for example, that we can simply manifest our way out of oppression or that everything in our lives is a manifestation of our beliefs, both of which quickly lead to a blame the victim mentality that doesn't take into consideration the very real consequences of things like systematic oppression and or interpersonal trauma. So I thought that was interesting um, and something that I hadn't really thought about in so many words. So thank you, Farah, for all of your awesome insights, um, your brilliant ideas, and for sharing vulnerably with me today. Uh, everybody else, I hope that you enjoyed this episode, and I will see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find me on Instagram at Liz Without a Pillow. If you loved what you listened to or know somebody that would, please share it. Screenshot the episode in the podcast app, share it to your Instagram story, and tag me. If you'd like to lend your personal support, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be so grateful. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. See you then.